0: Welcome to Counseling Over Coffee, a podcast of Redeemer Counseling Group. Whether you are listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher, we are happy to have you. And if you enjoy this podcast, it helps if you rate and review us, particularly on Apple Podcasts. And of course, any sharing of the podcast on social media is greatly appreciated. For more information about Redeemer Counseling Group, you can visit our website at RedeemerCounselingGroup.com or look us up on Facebook. And with that, here is Cherie with Counseling Over Coffee. I took a couple of weeks off from Counseling Over Coffee due to a hurricane here in Florida. Thankfully, everything is fine and we didn't sustain any any damage or just a lot of water. And there were also some technical difficulties with the podcast recording. And unfortunately, those difficulties included part two of the podcast from last time, when my son Jesse and I talked about the relaunch of Redeemer Church here in Orlando. Hopefully, We can get to that part two of that sometime in the near future uh, where Benny will also be involved. But for today and next time, I want to visit a topic that I get questions about on a pretty regular basis and that I think most of you can relate to, and it's this How do we care for the people in our lives who struggle with depression or anxiety? I did a little research to update myself on the most current stats on these struggles and before I share them, Googling statistics is tricky because we want to make sure we know the source of the findings. I always look for reputable, peer-reviewed research and what I learned last week is that 10% of women and 6% of men report battling depression and or anxiety on a regular basis. Now, this isn't the common forms of these struggles that come and go in most of our lives. This percentage of people deal with consistent, chronic fear and discouragement that impacts their daily lives or almost daily lives. And the population that is the most vulnerable are adults between 18 and and 29. So that's a heads up, right? For those of us who are parents or grandparents, it's just so sad. If you broaden the question to people to have you experienced weighty, anxious or depressive thoughts in the past two weeks, those percentages double to 20% of women and nearly 15% of men. So Think about it. Think about your family, your church, your workplace. Add up those people and divide them by 10%. If you are in a church of 200, for example, there are potentially 20 people who are regularly feeling anxious or depressed in your church. And yes, the stats are the same among Christians and non-Christians. In fact, Non-Christians probably report a little more honestly because the concern in the church is that people don't want to admit their struggles out of concern of how they'll be perceived, while non-Christians can be less concerned at times about judgment for acknowledging their suffering and then seeking help. Recently, I spoke at a ladies' event. It was a ladies' retreat out of state. And one of the exercises we did was an anonymous list of various situations or struggles uh, on a piece of paper that the ladies could check and then anonymously hand in of things they had experienced in the last two years. Things like the death of someone close to them or a spiritually wayward child that they were worried about. And One of the categories was people who had experienced a weighty season of depression or anxiety in that two-year period. Now, this was a group of women of various ages who, when I met them and had our our early meetings together and our times of worship, they seemed like a very typical cross-section of happy, godly women who were very excited about their about their first, uh, I guess, you post-COVID, I guess it was, um, Ladies Retreat, and they were very enthusiastic and were worshiping enthusiastically, and we were talking and greeting one another with a lot of affection, yet nearly 10% of those present admitted that anxiety and depression had been a heavy experience for them recently. Then later, because of the number of women who had responded, we offered a voluntary time to sit with them and have further ministry, and ladies shared through tears of deeply painful situations in their lives and families, some of them for the first time. What I learned that weekend and what I heard over and over throughout the weekend was Ladies had no idea that even some relatively close friends were struggling so much. Caring for the anxious and depressed was the subject of a podcast I listened to some years ago with Paul Tripp and David Pallison that has really helped me as a counselor, but also just as a mom and as a wife and a friend. And I'd like to take the rest of today and the next podcast to summarize some things from that podcast and from my own personal experiences in the counseling room and in my local church. Because the fact is, it's probable that someone you know well, a family member, a close friend, maybe a roommate or a co-worker, struggles with anxiety or depression, and you may not even be aware of it. Perhaps their actions or mood is giving you a clue that could be better understood. And there's plenty of ways to look on the web and find lists of evidences of anxiety and depression that you can look for. But that's not our focus today. What I'd like to speak about is how we as friends and family members can skillfully care for those we know or are pretty sure are walking through a hard time. Of depression or anxiety and what that care looks like. So first, it's important to stop and think about something. Being anxious or depressed makes a lot of sense because we live in a fallen and broken world. And sometimes that brokenness just crashes into our lives. And often it doesn't crash in one incident or heartache at a time. I recently sat across the table from a young woman who felt very guilty and confused about her battles with anxiety and depression until I asked her to slow her thoughts down and allow me to review what I had been learning about from her in the previous weeks. And just in the past three years, she had lost a beloved grandparents suddenly to COVID complications. She had been overlooked for a promised promotion she had worked hard for. She had found porn on her son's computer. Her son was 14. She had experienced a home burglary and had a cancer scare that took nearly two months to resolve as a benign situation. And listen to this. She had learned that her dad, had fathered a child 25 years prior in an adulterous relationship he and her mom had kept secret from her and her sisters. And the way they found out was that their half-sister had found them, had located the family in her mid-twenties. So as you hear that, does it make sense that this young woman would be battling with anxiety and, and deep discouragement? Sometimes helping anxious, depressed people see their lives through our eyes can help normalize their experience. As I shared this list of trials that this young woman had been through, tears were brimming in her eyes because she was hearing it with my voice and seeing it through my eyes. The fact is, it's normal to feel overwhelmed and out of control when life is Well, overwhelming and and out of control. Just understanding the reasons why your teen or spouse or friend is struggling provides a way to connect with them rather than watching the distance between the two of us grow, which is what happens when anxiety or anxiety or depression are present and are misunderstood. A second way To help and extend care is a concept that has been particularly eye-opening to me. And something that was lovingly and very wisely pounded into my brain by my counselors. Um, I'm sorry, my counseling instructors. Also actually by my counselor. And it's this. We are more alike those who battle anxiety and depression than we are different from them. I love the insight and compassion, in verses like Psalm 56.3. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. And Psalm 94.19, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. The psalmists are inviting us to see our battles with anxiety and deep discouragement as when issues, not if issues. Our culture uses spectrum language quite a lot. I'm sure you've noticed that. I have two special needs grandsons, and they are on the autism spectrum. One is highly functional. He's very athletic. He's one of the better players on his basketball team. And the other is further on to the spectrum. The older one, Silas, uh, it, it may take people quite a while, if ever, that they realize that he has autism, but those of us who know him well and spend a lot of time with him understand that. The younger brother is, like I said, further into the spectrum, and if you meet our sweet Gideon, you would know right away that he has autism. Anxiety and depression are similar. The the psalmists show us that it's a matter of when we become anxious or discouraged, not if. So here's the question. Are my battles with these common issues more like where Silas is on the autism spectrum or more like Gideon? Are they easily noticeable to those around me, keeping me from engaging in situations and relationships in a way that's very life-dominating? Or are they less detectable and only those who know me well can tell when I'm struggling because... Well, maybe because I try to hide how much things are troubling me because I feel ashamed or I feel being judged. If we view people in our lives as more different than like us, at least two harmful things happen in that relationship. First, we've all heard all kinds of isms, judgmentalism, sexism, racism, ageism are a few of the things that we hear about and that, honestly, I have to, at times, recognize in my own heart. But in the context of this discussion, those who battle anxiety and depression can commonly feel judged or misunderstood when they detect any hint of superiority in us that can even be subtly projected when we try to fix them and When we see people who are struggling with anxiety and depression, we want to help them. Plus, if we're honest with ourselves, it brings up angst or tension or uncertainty in our own hearts to see them struggling this way. So we want to help. And sometimes our help is not helpful when we try to fix people by seeming as if they need to move on or repent or stop overreacting or just trust God and I'm not of course I'm not saying or suggesting that there's not some element of wisdom or love in our attempts to help the anxious or depressed to move along and to experience help and hope and to acknowledge and experience God's comforting presence But when people feel we're trying to fix them rather than come alongside them as fellow strugglers on the same spectrum that we're on, it's unlikely that they'll trust us to be a means of help at all. The second thing that happens is accenting how we're different than another person creates distance between us, distance that will prevent connection and compassion, and the kind of healthy dialogue that is truly needed when someone is struggling. When we interact with those who are battling anxiety and depression from a posture of humility that recognizes our own similar struggles, it's a lot more likely that ministry will take place between us, right? And frankly, we don't In every situation, even have to say, you know, I struggle with that too. Just our attitude and the posture of our heart toward the person is going to affect what we say, the tone of our voice and how we say it, our facial expressions, our body language, even if we never share our common struggle just the tenderness and the compassion in our hearts is going to ooze out of us. Years ago, I had a friend who was a lovely person, but was known to respond to mental health struggles in others' lives with like an instructor's displeasure. He was quick to give advice that included needing to do things like find things to be grateful for, the person needing to confess their lack of faith and repentance, memorizing scripture to recount during anxious moments. And all of this advice was well-meaning and certainly had some level of wisdom, but what it lacked was the kind of compassion that comes alongside the person, as I mentioned earlier, and gives them time to understand the complexities of their fear and discouragement. This friend, sadly, went through a long and weighty season of his own battles with anxiety. But afterwards, his ministry to others was different. He had begun to understand that anxiety had actually been a long-time issue in his life, but one he didn't notice and frankly, didn't want to name. Because the anxious thoughts were typically of the more common nature, like worrying about Finances or how to get everything done in a week, you know, stuff most of us face. This friend really didn't understand the depth of what was going on in his heart. The problem was that he saw himself as different than others previously. For years, his anxiety was, quote, under control because it had gone unacknowledged and it had grown. A few episodes ago, I mentioned a metaphor that Dr. David Pallison uses about our hearts being like a sponge. When we squeeze it, what comes out is what was already in there. And my friend's anxiety had been in his heart for years. It just took a hard squeeze of very painful circumstances to introduce him to it. I hope this episode has sparked some thoughts in your mind on how to view the people in your life who are dealing with anxiety and depression. And I hope you'll join me next time for more ways to care for them well.